Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Back. And uh, Trevor, I think this, does this sound a little loud to you? It sounds different to me. Can you turn the volume down, please? All righty. Um, to fully understand who we are as a nation, and folks, this is being intent, this kind of information is being intentionally withheld from you and from students today. And there are reasons for that. Like I say, the media, Hollywood, and um, academia are very hostile to Christianity and very hostile to America. And again, there are reasons for that. And perhaps when we get closer to the 4th of July, I can explain. I've touched on it in, in the past. So you don't hear this. So what, what I'm telling you about today, some of you may find it you know, hard to believe because you haven't been taught it. Well, understand, there's a hostility towards our nation, even from among its own citizens. But to understand where we came from, it's important that we understand uh, the origination of that. And you go back, all the way back to Sinai. And Sinai is the peninsula between Egypt and, and Israel. And it's what the children of Israel had to cross as they left Egypt, where they had endured slavery for hundreds of years. Now they've been set free. They've got their independence. They didn't have to fight a civil war. God fought it for them, so to speak, with the plagues. Now they're an independent people headed to their homeland. And they've got to organize themselves. And what happened there in that Sinai was God speaking to Moses, Moses speaking to the people, and then the people covenanting together with God to be the kind of nation that they were going to be. It wasn't anything achieved by force. It was an agreement of the people. Easily done when you were of the same mindset, when you were people of God. More challenging when you're not. And when we look back there, we see some basic concepts about what it means to be a nation that applied to them that also applies to us. For example, and we're just going to look at three. Number one, we are a people as a nation that believe in the consent of the governed. Our, our government must concede to us. We believe in the consent of the government. You do not govern without our consent. We determine our representatives. We will vote them in. We will vote them out. That's the consent of the governed. That originated back in Sinai, in the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant was a matter of free consent, freely chosen consent. Let me give you an example. In Exodus chapter 19, you have your Bibles. You you can turn there. It's not on the screen, but you still ought to bring your Bibles because you're going to have days like this. In Exodus chapter 19, verse number 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people. Now they're organizing themselves. They, they, they lived under, you know, Egyptian dominance. Now they, they got to have, any society's got to have rules and regulations. And Moses came and called for, all the, el- for the elders of the people and laid before them their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people, listen to this now. 
So God's talking to Moses. Moses comes to the people and Moses says to the people, this is what God wants for us. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. That's consent of the governed. Even as they dealt with God. God tells Moses, go tell the people this. They had the option of accepting it or rejecting it. That's very clear in this passage. He goes, they could have said, no, we're not going to do that. But they said, yes, we will do that. That's the way we will be governed. And what we see there for the first time in the history of mankind is the consent of the governed. And understand the importance of that. One writer said the Jews were indeed bound by the covenant. They were freely bound. They chose to agree together to be guided by the oracles of God. So there you have the concept of the consent of the governed. We're not going to be dictated to. We're not going to live under a monarchy. Nobody's going to tell us how to live. We are going to be governed as we choose. So we come 2,000, 3,000 years later, 4,000 years later, 1776. And in the Declaration of, the, of Independence, it says just that. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, okay, the Founding Fathers, they're writing here, they're making the case that sometimes it becomes necessary for a group of people to come out from among the oppressor. When in the course of human events, the Declaration says, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. The equality of man, that whole idea doesn't come from man. That comes from God. We know that we are all created in the image of God. That makes us equals. And that, that's critical. The rest of the world doesn't know that. That's why you can have a Stalin. You know, that's why in America you have this increasing number of people that are elitists that think they know better than everybody else. No, you get that idea from God. Which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them a decent Respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And then he goes on. That to secure these rights, this is our Declaration of Independence, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. That is quoting directly from the Declaration of Independence. You go all the way back to Sinai and see where that was first instituted. That can be conceived of and that can be instituted whenever a group of people have a relationship with God. We derive our our rights from God. And the Hebrew children understood that. And then so many thousands of years later, the American founding fathers understood that. They rejected a king. They rejected a dictator. We were different. 
we were most similar to the Hebrew children coming out of Egypt. We are a people that believe in the consent of the governed. There were a few people that tried to establish George Washington as a king, a monarch. And he wanted nothing to do with that. And the majority of the people wanted nothing to do with that. We believe in the consent of the governed. That people are equal. We all have equal rights. That concept comes from God because none of us are superior. We, each of us individually, are created in the image of God. So, as Americans, we, we hold it dear that we don't live under a dictator. We don't live under a potentate. And understand where that comes from. That can only happen in a people that have a relationship with God and understand the principles that God lays down, that all men are created equal. It occurred with the Hebrew children. It occurred here in the United States. Number two. So number one, understand what number one is. We are a people who believe in the consent of the governed. What else do we believe in? We are a people who pledge allegiance to one another. The covenant back in Moses' day, was a morally binding pledge. It dealt with morals. The only way a people can be self-governed is for them to govern themselves, for, for them to not need outside restraints. When the children of Israel come out of Egypt, here they are in the Sinai Peninsula, and as part of that covenant, God gave them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments dealt with several different things, but it dealt with morality. In Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse number 13, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. A moral issue. Thou shalt not steal. A moral issue. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. When a covenant people come together, they come together pledging an allegiance to one another. Look, our country should not be a country based on division. We should be coming together as a nation. Shame on these politicians that make money off of dividing people. Where are the statesmen out there that are bringing us together? That are focusing on bringing people together. But you can only do that when you have a moral basis for that. And we need to understand that. One writer said, and I quote, A covenant is based on the foundational moral act of one person making a solemn promise to another person or to many others. This promise is both an expression of freedom and, something you don't hear much about these days, an assumption of responsibility. The covenant back then was a morally binding pledge to one another. These people all agreed that, that, that murder was wrong. Now, we don't agree with that today because you, you can murder babies. Let me say this. Let me, if I'm going to get in trouble today, let me just go all the way. A woman has a right to control her own body. But she doesn't have the right to control that body that she has conceived inside of her. That's another body. 
She should have thought about that before she conceived. You know, you, you, you have control. They want control over their body. Well, take control over your body. Don't have a baby that you don't want. But once you have a baby inside you, that's somebody, that's another body. That's not your body. Am I right about that? And, it, and if, 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 if life doesn't, somebody tell me this, if life doesn't begin at conception, will you tell me when it does begin? Is, is there another choice? I don't think there's, you know, I don't think it's a multiple choice, A, B, C, or D. You know, it, it, it's, it's just that. So when a group of people come together, there's got to be a moral basis. There's got to be a, a moral glue that, that holds them together. Because if you don't have that, then everybody, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. If you don't have the moral glue of God and his word and everybody agreeing that what he says we will do. And these people were saying, God says it's wrong to kill, we're not going to kill. God says it's wrong to steal, we're not going to steal. And a group of people can live together in, in harmony and peace and, and they can prosper. But when you don't have that moral glue holding you together, understanding that you have privileges but you also have responsibilities, then what are a group of people going to be guided by? It's going to be self-willed, self-interest. Get to that in a second. So you go back to Sinai and you see a group of people that believed in the consent of the governed. You see a group of people that understand you need a morally binding pledge of allegiance to one another that we all agree on the rules of the game, okay? And, and God sets the rules so we can all agree on that and we're going to prosper. That is seen, that, and that was back in Sinai. Then jump, jump ahead to 1776. The Declaration of Independence has that moral component of God in it too because in it it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Our Constitution or our Declaration of Independence like the Jews back in Sinai in the Mosaic Covenant, we, like they, understand that there is a God. And God is the lawgiver. And God lays down the rules. And when we all agree on that, then we understand that we have not only rights and privileges, but we have responsibilities. And as long as we're all on the same page, we're going to be blessed. And you see that in the Declaration of Independence when it talks about the lawgiver, when it talks about the creator God. Now, let me pause here. I'm going to chase a rabbit. I mentioned this this morning. One of my favorite authors to read is Oz Guinness. Born in Britain. No, I think he was born in China. His parents were missionaries to China. But he's a British citizen. Maybe now he's an American citizen. But he loves America. He loves this country. And he still has a bit of a British accent. But he loves this country. He knows this country. He knows the, the history of this country better than anybody. And he is, a, he is a good Christian man. And I was reading this the other day. And he said this. And I kind of chase a rabbit here. He says, here is the significance of the pledge. Because we're talking about a pledge. Okay, the pledge of allegiance. What are we doing? We're, 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 we're pledging our, ourselves to a, a, a set of values. We're pledging ourselves to an ideal that as children of God, we can all agree that this is good and this is right and this is best. So he says, here is the significance of the Pledge of Allegiance and of standing during the national anthem that America needs to recapture and that those who take a knee need to remember. First, 
The freedom of conscience includes the right to the freedom of dissent. Okay, we agree with that. You can, de- you can dissent. You can protest. That's not the issue. But dissent from the pledge and disrespect for the anthem are far more than dissent over party or political politics. They are that dissent. They are a tacit rejection of the covenant and constitution itself. They're rejecting that which gives them the right to do what they're doing. Do you understand that? They're, they're, you know, let me read on. He says, second, dissent from them in the name of justice is contradictory and self-defeating. For it undermines the very standard and the obligation through which justice in America are to be achieved. I mean, it's like they're sitting in the boat and they're shooting holes in the boat. And it's going to sink them. You know, you, you, you want to protest? Protest. But don't protest what gives you the right to protest. That makes sense? So important for us to understand these things. So number one, go all the way back to Sinai and we have the idea laid down of the consent of the governed. Because those people all agreed that yes, we're going to do this. Go all the way back to Sinai and you see that you have a morally binding pledge. That for us to be free, we, we have to be a moral people. And, and by the way, the, the more moral you are, the more self-restraint you show, the less you need laws. You know, the, the more anarchy there is in a country, what does that ultimately result in? A dictator takes over, giving dictatorial laws. So... The more a people know what it means to be responsible and act responsible and live responsible that has a moral compass, those people can be free. It's the people that don't believe in that that are going to have the problems and are going to need someone to ratchet down on them some controls. But number three, we're a nation that believes in personal responsibility and accountability. The covenant was a matter of reciprocal responsibility of all for all. Again, this shows you the kind of nation we're living in, that what I'm sharing with you today probably seems, well, that's odd, I've never heard that. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't in this nation, why shouldn't there be statesmen in Washington and Lansing talking about personal responsibility? Why shouldn't there be somebody up there saying, you live in a great country, you need to be personally responsible? When today all they're talking about is gimme, 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 I want my Obama phone. Gimme my Obama phone and I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. They don't understand. You know, there, there is this idea of responsibility, of accountability. Go back to the Sinai Peninsula. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 19. This is part of the rules that are being developed at that time where they're told, Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. He's telling them, listen, love one another, care for one another. You are responsible for one another. Even the strangers in the land, you are to love them. What I'm sharing with you this afternoon is so foreign to what you hear on the TV, what what you hear in, in politics. One writer says, there was equality of dignity for each individual before the covenant, and there was also equality of responsibility for all others who were within the covenant. By the definition, the stranger, the foreigner, the outsider, and the other are not people like us. 
he says. In other words, what this person is describing here is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, 19, when he says, love ye therefore the stranger. It's just the idea of personal responsibility. We've lost the, even the concept of that today. Where are the statesmen on either side of the aisle that would dare say we have as, as being people that believe in the consent of the governed, if we're going to go there, we have to be a moral people to achieve that, and we have to assume responsibility. Why is what I'm sharing with you this afternoon, why is that topic even never even broached when you watch anything on the news? The Declaration of Independence talks about that. It says in the Declaration, this whole idea of personal responsibility. The Declaration concludes with these words, and for the support of this Declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, God is throughout this document, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. We mutually pledge to each other. Back in Sinai, there was a pledge. God even said, look, you be responsible for the strangers. Love them, care for them, do what you need to do to to help them. In our Declaration of Independence, it says we mutually pledge to each other. A country of fragmenting people that depend on identity, politics, and who all claim to be victims. How can a mindset like that ever work in a country? How can that ever work? That your country is being fragmented through identity politics. You know, this is the transgender group. This is the feminist group. This is the the, the black caucus group. There's this. Why can't we be Americans? You realize what a foreign concept that is to you as I'm sharing this? You're thinking like, hmm, (laughs) that's a novel thought. Why can't we be Americans? And I'll tell you why. Because they can't agree on what an American is. Because they sure don't like this. Even with the word spelled right, they don't like it. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. We started off as a covenant people. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The increase of secularism and open hostility to Christianity should concern you. When abortions up to birth is cheered in the New York Assembly and is celebrated in New York City, you should be concerned. Let me close with this. Our nation is becoming, sadly, more and more secular. The salt is losing its savor. The light is being put under a bushel basket. I, I got to be honest with you, and I'm sure 
Jeremiah and Isaiah didn't like preaching what they preached to a people that were rejecting God. People who reject God in the Bible, think about it, folks. We, we, we preached on this last Sunday, I think it was. They walk in darkness. They're a different kind of human being. It's hard for us to understand, but they walk in darkness. <clears throat> they live in unrighteousness. That doesn't mean that every lost person is as wicked as they could possibly be, but they don't have any arguments against those who are as wicked as they can possibly be. People who reject God in the Bible possess no moral compass or godly values. They are guided by self-interest and self-will. That's scary. A group of people that do not believe in God, that do not have a moral compass, they do not have godly values. Some of these, I'm describing some of our family, our lost family, our lost friends. They may not be that wicked, but they don't have a moral compass. They do not have the, they may have a conscious conscience. God gives everybody a conscience, but that conscience can be seared. But the scarier part is they may be a pretty good person, but they have no argument against a Hitler. Because he's he's operating in the same framework of self-interest and self-will. And you can't say that he's wrong. Do you understand where they are? They may be a good person. You might have a neighbor that's lost. They may be. I got neighbors that are lost. They're, they're good people. And they're not as wicked as they can be. But they offer no solutions or alternative to the people that are as wicked as they can be. When self interest and self wills collide within a family or an organization or within a nation, the future ends up being controlled by the people that are most cunning and most ruthless. Do you understand that? Let me read that. When self-interest... Okay, these are people walking in darkness. When self-interest and self-wills... And every lost person is guided by that. The Bible says it better. Every man did that which was right in his... That's your unsaved family. That's your unsaved neighbors, your unsaved co-workers. They, you and I are thinking about God. We, we feel bad. We say something wrong. We look at something. Oh, man. That's, oh, Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have watched that. They, they're guided by their self-interest and their self-will. Okay? When self-interest and self-wills collide... Within a family, an organization, or a nation, the future will be determined by the most cunning and the most ruthless. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say down the road here you have a barn, and the hell's angels are meeting there. Okay, they don't care about God. They have no interest in morality or values. They'll get drunk. They'll do drugs. They'll chase women. They'll chase men. They'll do, they'll do whatever. They get together, and they say, well, we, we're, we're going to elect our chief hell's angel. Now, who do you think is going to be promoted, if you will, to be the leader? I can tell you. It's the most ruthless, baddest dude in the group. He's going to be number one. In a family that has no God, 
it's going to be the, the, you know, the, the most powerful person in, in the family. The one that can yell the loudest. The one that can cuss the most, whatever. See, that's, that's, that's what you get. The, the, the scum rises to the top. Now, contrast that. And that's what, that's what bothers me in, in this nation. <clears throat> There's been times when someone has said, Oh, that politician lied. And that politician was obviously deceptive. And people have said, Boy, that's going to do that politician in. No, in their circle, they applaud that. They don't care that he or she lied. That her, con- her or his con- constituents. They, that, that's, that's an admirable point. Just like with the Hell's Angels. They have no moral compass. They have no values. It's all self-interest and self-will. And the biggest, baddest dude is, is going to run things. Can you say Stalin? Can you say Mao? Can, can you say Hitler? In those corrupt societies, who always gets to the top? It is the most ruthless individuals. That should scare you. But contrast that. Down the road in the other direction, there's a meeting of the area Sunday school teachers. Truly born again people. People who do embrace God and the Bible through the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts do possess a moral compass and godly values. That's why you feel bad when you said something bad. Or you, I say you, we. When we see something we shouldn't or whatever, and you, oh man, why? Because we have a moral compass. The hell's angels down the road, they're, they're laughing about it. They're, they're making fun. They, they enjoy it. And the fact that it hurts somebody doesn't matter to them. They have no moral compass. So people who embrace the Bible and God have a true moral compass and godly values. They're guided by not self-will and self-interest. They're guided by a higher power. They're, they've seen the light. They're walking in the light. They're guided by honesty, integrity, concern for others. Virtues taught us by God and his word. Families and organizations and nations founded on these principles will be guided by the most altruistic and humanitarian and the decent individual. Go back now to the meeting of the area Sunday school teachers down the road. And... For whatever reason, they need a president. I guarantee you, if they're truly born again, godly, mature people, they're going to be looking for the most decent, honest, trustworthy, compassionate person they can find. And that person is going to be their leader. Now, a thought question for you. Why? Why the difference? Because you know what I'm telling you is true, even though it's just a made-up scenario. You know the hell's angels, the biggest, baddest, smelliest, dirtiest, most vicious, scariest guy, he's going to be number one. And over here, the godliest, most compassionate, probably the one that knows the Bible best, has a long record of high ethics and morality, that person's going to rise to the top. 
one of my great concerns is I wish I could be more positive on Memorial Day. But as a nation, are we becoming more like the Hell's Angels or are we becoming more like the Sunday school teachers? Tell me. How are we becoming? With the Sunday school teachers, the cream rises to the top. Proverbs 29.2 says this. This is profound. This is what I leave you with today. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Nobody's got reason to rejoice when the hell's angel dude is in control. Not even the hell's angels. But when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And what I think we see, personal opinion here, what we see among the kind of leaders we have in Washington is a reflection of the people who voted them in. It's very sad. And I'm not making a political statement. What I, what I am saying, this is a political statement I will make, we need to see revival in this land. We need to see an increase in godly people who are sending godly people to Washington. That I will stand by. We need to see a revival in this land where people go to the polls and they have the option of sending somebody to to Washington who understands the covenant, who understands what it means to be an American, that understands that to be a part of the consent of the governed, you've got to have moral boundaries that you can agree upon as a people. That's part of being the covenant. That's part of being the, 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 uh, the answer. And then you have to assume responsibility, that I'm going to do my part. I'm not a victim. I don't need an Obama phone. I can take care of myself. By the way, let me, let me say this. You're hearing, oh boy, I'm going to chase a rabbit here. Um, I read an article just recently, this past week, where something like four out of five, I don't know if it was Americans or, or, or uh, millennials, believe in socialism. Do you know, let, let me just state a fact. There's been no economic system in the history of the world to pull more people out of pro- poverty than capitalism. That's a fact. Okay? And one, let me just give you this. One of the reasons that works is, just something to chew on, Capitalism. If you are a capitalist, which is basically believing in freedom, that I can start a business, I can charge what I want, you know, and capitalism is based on people starting businesses. And whether you start the business or you go and work for Ford who started a business, somebody started the business. Somebody had the freedom to do that. But I heard this thought. In fact, I wrote it down in in my notes yesterday morning during my my devotion. I could take it sitting by my chair. And it said this. I was listening to this guy talk about capitalism. And he said, listen, he said, one of the great things about capitalism is we have a vested interest in each other. If I got a product to sell, I hope you're doing well enough to buy it. Bob? I mean, we're for each other in capitalism. You know, I want the economy to do good because I got a product I want to sell. And because I live in a free country, I invented it and I patented it. And now I can sell it. 
But it's in my interest, Bob, that you do well enough to be able to buy it, if you should so, should so want it. And the idea that capitalism is based on greed, folks, let me tell you what's greed, socialism. Give me mine, give it now. Whether I work for it or not, I just want it. I deserve it. Says who? <laughs> Personal responsibility. Is there anything else I want you to get mad at me about? Let me, <laughs> let me see if I can think. Folks, be careful who you listen to. There's a lot of talking heads on TV, radio, and what have you. Do your own homework. I, I am convinced if you will study capitalism objectively, and are, are there flaws or the things that could be corrected? You know, for capitalism to work, you, you really do need to have a Christian nation because the bosses should be caring, they should be generous. You know, but in capitalism, that kind of works out too because through competition. You know, I I, I got to pay a competitive wage. So, but you got to take the time to study this stuff. Don't 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 just listen to a few nights of CNN or Fox News or whatever. If you study it out, it just makes sense. It it, it makes sense when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule. The people mourn. Let me challenge you to two things. We're done. I want to challenge you to pursue personal holiness and righteousness. That's how you can become salt and light. That could help us bring a revival. And number two, be personally and enthusiastically involved in church. We have faults. We make mistakes. We're not a perfect organization, but of this organization, we have a claim that is unique among organizations of the world in that we are, and this is no small potatoes, the pillar and ground of the truth. So even with our flaws, folks, we need to be enthusiastically committed to making the church, which is the lighthouse We need to be committed to making that light shine brighter. It's a covenant that we have. America is a covenant. And I preach that we come together as a people. That we understand the values of God and his moral absolutes that he has for us. And when we are self-governing, we don't need to be governed from without. We have minimal number of laws. When we're allowed to be free, you can design a product, you can sell it, and you're praying that everybody else is doing well enough. You're not against everybody else. You're for them because you want them to do well because that's just the way it works. makes sense to me. We're a covenant nation. You're not going to hear it anywhere else except from conservative, truly Bible-believing churches. Let us work to make this church to be a lighthouse in our community. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Myo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. 
You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.